This is Rob Long with Martini Shot for The Angler. I once worked with a very talented actor who mostly worked in feature films. We didn't really know who he was when we were casting that particular role, but his agent and manager sent us his reel, which is a tape with a sample of some of his best work, and it was obvious from the very first clip that he was a gifted, smart, winning, and very funny guy. And a few days later, he was in our office, and we had a great meeting, and we cast him on the spot. But during production week, his performance was a little weird. He'd get it eventually after a few run-throughs, so we thought, hey, the guys from Features, where they do a zillion takes of everything. Maybe that's his process. He'll get used to television, which is pretty much a shoot it and move on kind of operation. But shoot night came and there was still something off about him, a depressed kind of energy, like he was underwater or something. But by then he was too late to recast or reshoot. We just plowed through and a day or so later, we were sitting in the editing room watching the actor float through the show like he'd been body snatched and we were baffled. What happened? Where did the electric performer we had expected go? Where was that guy from our office, the funny, engaging dude with the hilarious facial expressions? Where, in fact, were any facial expressions at all? Facial expressions, I don't need to tell you, are kind of crucial to the acting biz. That's pretty much the definition of acting. Facial expressions plus limited movement. And we sat watching the editor's cut and watched our promising TV series drift away. You know, said our line producer, watching the rough cut with us, it's probably the medication he has to take. One of the side effects is a severely depressed energy level. Medication, I asked. Yeah, it's for some kind of brain thing. Our lead has a brain thing? Oh, I didn't say that, our producer said. In fact, I shouldn't have said anything. In fact, I'm not allowed to tell you which brain thing specifically or about the medication he has to take for it. I only know because I had to arrange the physical exam and I saw his medical records. Now, you see, in major roles, actors have to go for a complete doctor's physical exam to prove to the studio and to the insurers that they're healthy enough to theoretically last for the entire run of a series, which everyone hopes is 10 years or more. So let me get this straight, I asked. You knew all along that the lead actor in our comedy has a medical condition that forces him to take pills that make him unfunny, and you decided to hold this information back? I didn't decide, he said reasonably. It's the law. I was legally enjoined from saying anything. Medical records are private. I only know because I was the one who had to make sure a doctor came to the set and he got his injection right before we started shooting. Right before we started shooting, I asked. Again, he said, privacy laws. Now, our producer was right, of course. Had he told us, we would have known all along that he was probably going to have to be recast. We would have figured out that the reason the actor was so great in features and so personable and alive in the room was because he could make it through a 30-minute meeting or a set of multiple takes without too much trouble. But a sustained six-hour shoot in front of an audience... That made his brain crave the unfunny medicine. Had we known, we would have taken action, and that would have been illegal, so instead we spent $4 million for no reason at all. A few weeks ago, clicking through the internet, I saw the same actor, this is now several years after we worked together on that baffling and doomed pilot, doing a public service announcement for his particular brain thing. You don't have to live with the shame and the embarrassment anymore, he was telling the viewers. There's a powerful medication that can keep the disease in check, he said. He said chirpily. He said with energy and charm and gusto and pep and an engaged, zesty delivery. 
He said with a star quality that he can only attain when he's off his meds. For the rest of us, of course, it's the opposite situation. But the reason I told you that story is to tell you that the hardest job in show business, and there are a lot of hard jobs, but this one is the hardest, is line producer. The short definition of that job is the line producer is the only producer in show business who actually produces something. You can tell who the line producer is on the credits because they get an actual produced by credit. Everyone else, writer, showrunner, whatever, get the title without the action tag. A show is produced by someone with the credit produced by, and all the other producers on the credits are just standing around. Their credit doesn't get a buy. It's just producer of some kind. But the longer definition of that most important job is this. This week I got a call from my credit card company. Well, it was a text, really. I was trying to buy something, and it doesn't really matter what I was trying to buy. The important thing to know is that I was trying to buy something fairly expensive that I totally did not need. And I stuck my credit card in the thingy, and we waited for a moment, and then it beeped in an alarmingly different kind of way, a way you don't want it to. And the guy looked up at me and said in a voice that I'm pretty sure they're trained to use, a tone that implies this is clearly an error. This is just a computer glitch. No need to be embarrassed. And what they really say is literally, the card was declined. Do you have another one? And what I said was, what? what? The car, what? The car, what? The, what? What? There's a, there's a, there's a mistake. And as I'm fumbling for another card, and full disclosure, there have been many times in my life when I knew exactly why the card was declined. That's what being broke means, but it's been a long time. But as I'm fumbling for the other card, my phone buzzes, and it's a text from the credit card company doing what they call a security check, and they're asking a few questions. Enter yet one for yes, enter two for no. Was I trying to make that purchase? Is the card in my possession? What are the last four digits of my social security number? It was all efficient and instant and radiating competence and safety, simple security questions. But what I heard was the credit card company asking me a different set of questions. You were trying to buy that thing? Don't you have like three or four others just like it? Do you really need this latest model? It's just a thing. It won't fill up the emptiness. And so when the text was done and the computer on the other end of the line signed off with a pleasant thank you for your patience, your security is important to us, go ahead and use the card now and the charge will go through, I suddenly had second thoughts about the whole thing. Do I really need it? So should I run the card again, ask the salesperson? Actually, let me, before you, let me just, I'll be, I, before you, let me, I'll be, I'll be right. Let me just, I'll be, I'll be right. Let me, I'll just, I'll just be right. I'll be, and then I left the store without buying anything. And immediately I had two thoughts. One, well, I can never go to that store again. And two, this is probably a pretty good business, a service that interrupts you while you're in the process of buying something expensive and unnecessary, something to break the spell of I want, I want, and snap you out of it. That is what a line producer does. That person's job is to continually match the production budget, which is a document written often in a kind of fairyland trance kind of way before the production gets going with something called the hot costs, which is the money you're actually spending right then and there, the set dressing that needs to be changed suddenly, the hours that are tacked on at the end of the day, the extra atmosphere you didn't know you needed, you know, whatever. It's a delicate job, and it's maybe the hardest job in the entire show business, aside from 
trying to explain how to do dual dialogue in Final Draft. But the line producer technically works for the executive producer, but when the hot costs go haywire, it's the studio that starts yelling. The line producer is stuck between the two, often trying to explain to a basically innumerate showrunner or director why he or she can't have it rain in the scene or can only have the panda for one more hour before it has to go back to the zoo or, you know, anything that's expensive that you don't really need. And then has to turn around and explain to the studio why it's crucial to have that panda, why the hot costs are nothing to worry about, how they promise to make it up later in the production somehow. But mostly what the line producer does is wait. The director or showrunner needs something, and that's that's how we put it. We say, I need this. This is what I need. This is what I have to have. And the line producer says, absolutely. But then waits. Waits for something else to happen. Waits for the showrunner or director to change his or her mind. Waits to see if there's something else that's just as good, but half as expensive. Waits to see if there are ways to cut somewhere else to make that new expense a wash. In other words, does the equivalent of making a routine credit card security call to the guy at the Apple store, okay, that's where I was, you knew that's where I was, who does not need the new iPad Pro, but does not know it. Of all the jobs in the entertainment industry, and I mean all of them, writer, director, star, agent, lawyer, executive, the line producer is the only one with actual real-life skills, skills that would be useful and productive for all of us who have ever needed someone to keep us from buying something we don't need with money we could be using for something a lot better. And I told you all of that to tell you this. Steve Grossman who has his name on hundreds of episodes of television, who really was a produced-by kind of man, died last week, surrounded by his family, remembered by his many, many friends, missed by the legions of younger producers and executives he taught and mentored, even when they did not realize he was doing it. Maybe especially when they did not realize he was doing it. Because that's part of being a real producer. You do a lot of important crucial things, and no one notices you doing them. We worked with Steve on so many television series and pilots, including the one with the actor with the unfunny pills, that we came to rely on his unflappable cheer, his Buddhist smile in the middle of a typical television production chaos, his unmatched gold star professionalism, his warmth, his loyalty, his nice guy act that could not cover up the fact that he was deep down a genuinely kind and thoughtful person. In fact, in all of our years working together, I'd say his greatest flaw, maybe his only flaw, was his bizarre total adherence to the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. He had this verbal tick, we still laugh about it, when he wanted to ask us to rethink some decision, some expensive or unnecessary decision without coming right out with it. Is there a sense, he would say, just a sense that maybe the helicopter sequence may not be something we ultimately need in that sense. I'm just wondering if there's a sense. He was always right, of course. The knock on the door, the cheerful hello, maybe a funny story from his past about his early acting career, driving a cab in New York City in the 1970s. That was all like the text from the credit card company, breaking the spell. And then... Is there a sense, and there was, there was pretty much always a sense, Steve would fight like a wildcat for you with the studio finance team, 
And as the business evolved, his unflagging loyalty to the creative team cost him real career opportunities because the studio, they want a producer who works for them. We wanted a producer who was on our side. And Steve was always on our side, always thinking of a way to get the best show produced. Because after all, those shows had his name on them. He was the produced by guy. Here's how you break into television writing. You make a list of shows you like, and when you watch them, you write down the names of the writers in the credits, not the executive producers or the upper-level people, the story editors, the lower-level writers. And then you go to the Writers Guild website, and you look up their agents, and so now you know which agents represent lower-level writers just like you on shows you enjoy. You know which agents to contact. This is exactly how I did it, except back then there was no website, there was well, there's no web, and you had to call a special number at the Writers Guild, and a real person would answer, and you could only ask for three writers per phone call, which you'd do, and then you'd call right back, and the person on the other end would pretend that you were a different person. And this is how I learned the difference between a writer who is a producer and a produced-by kind of producer, because Steve Grossman was on a lot of my lists. Steve Grossman kept appearing on the credits of television shows I loved, and it was the person on the other end of the Writers Guild agents line who explained impatiently how that worked and then a few years later i met steve and i realized that one reason all of those shows were so great was because he produced them these days the credits go by so quickly and there are so many of them that it's often impossible to know just who does what on the show you just watched but if you're a fan of great television comedy you will see his name and now you know Steve Grossman was the producer. And that's it for this week. Next week, we watch someone else's show. For The Ankler, this is Rob Long with Martini Shot.